You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, everybody. This is your co-host, Jeff, speaking. This episode of Foundation Radio is brought to you by a whole bunch of drunk hosts, but more importantly, fuck Andrew Jackson. He's an asshole. No one should ever like him. And now, on to your listening goodness. Boner part. Have some of us had haircuts? We have. <laughs> you you know Greg looks the best. Yeah. <gasps> Bay. Bay. Daniel Bay Lewis. Bay, he seriously, looks, he looks I so swear good. you look skinnier every time I see you and you look like a young Michael McDonald, mm. and I cannot contain what's happening in my pants right now. No, what, what's happening so is just that died. my fatter parts are getting fatter and my small parts are staying thinner. So therefore God. I just look thinner. But I'm not. Wow. Amount of alcohol. But you look amazing. I, I got my London shot. I got my London shot glass. Ooh, oh, I, I don't want to go to London. Celebration. I do have whiskey though. So yeah, I I have a sipping whiskey, which yeah. means I'm not taking a shot, but I will drink. I mean, right. it, mine is not a sipping whiskey. It's actually the kind of whiskey that I made a whiskey soda out of. So I could nice. go get a shot glass. <laughs> I, hey, it's totally up to you. I'm just out of the bottle. What's that, Greg? I'm just going to sip it out of the bottle. That's fine. I'm also All drinking right. soju and yingling. <laughs> okay. So uh, where are we? Okay, so... That's pretty good. Welcome back to Foundation Radio. I'm your yeah. host, Adam Barnard. <laughs> 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 Welcome back. It's uh, another week, another Tuesday with us. Uh, it is not tu- It's Tuesday right now, but uh, we are currently celebrating. So typically, this is the time of year that uh, we have our big uh, Barnard family barbecue at our house. We have all of our friends and family over. No specific reason. Um, we, what's no that? Reason at all. No reason for, at all, for except no for my birthday. No. While yeah. you're listening to this, my while you're listening to this, my birthday will be tomorrow. Uh, so typically we have a get together to celebrate my birthday and also Mr. James, because we do we have our summer birthdays. Uh, but COVID has completely fucked that up. So tonight we're all gonna be drinking good. together. Woo. What's that? I think it's Woo. pronounced COVID. I'm not sure. COVID is yeah, really sure. My Somebody my new gave- favorite drink, because I've been experimenting with cocktails in quarantine, because why not? Uh, my new favorite drink yeah. to make for myself with whiskey is a whiskey sour. 
which is way better if you use actual lemon juice and not one of the sour mix. Don't yeah. buy a sour mix. Get simple syrup and actual lemon juice. But okay. I am out of simple syrup and I didn't feel like making any more. Do you squeeze it on lemons or like the bottle of lemon juice? Um, it's better if you fresh squeeze them, but honestly, yeah. I've bought the little bottle a couple times because I'm lazy. I like your number three. You can't tell the difference. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> These are the like, freshest like limes I've ever. Ooh. Oh, that These is are, a nice lime. The freshest That's limes. Cute. I cut it and the, the entire kitchen smelled like lime. So it was fucking awesome. Continue, want, Jeffrey. I'm sorry. Uh, well, actually, um, to bring it up to limes, when you're done with the lime, um, take the rind and then put it in the garbage disposal, and it'll help freshen up the garbagey smell from the garbage disposal. That's what you should do with all your fruit rind. Well, it's yeah, rind. Lemon, not all the rind. Quarantine thin, tips with Jeffrey. It's really good for the garbage disposal. The lemons, it cleans mm -hmm. it or something. It's Yeah, it's going to help if you've got other gunk in there. So the more quarantine you know. tips and quarantinis <laughs> Jeff, Ruth, Greg, and Adam. I don't want to go if to London. Old, I told older, you I don't uh, care. Just like cut them really thin, though. Don't put it in like half the fucking lemon. Does anybody else actually like Third Eye Line besides me? I fucking love that band. I was listening to London on the way home, and I was like, I got to find my shot glass. <laughs> oh, hey, Does that count? Yeah, I, I yeah, that, that counts. counts. I would say, yeah, I don't hate Third Eye Blind, but I don't go out of my way I, to listen to them. I grew yeah. I'm older than you guys, so that's probably why. I stay fucking... I remember. All right. I'm I, older I, than I've you. probably heard Third Eye Blind before, but I'm not... Like, it's, none of it's stuck in my brain. Is like, I wouldn't be able to tell you a particular now, song. Their, their first album is the best. That one is... That's the one with London and Semi-Charm Life. Do you know Semi-Charm Life is about uh, smoking meth with a hooker? Baby, baby. Uh, that sounds correct. Yeah. You know, I do know, I know more of their songs, I think, through um, Weird Al Yankovic's polka compilations. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. Probably that's I, where yeah. I'm more familiar. Is responsible yep. for me liking any kind of rap as a child. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Let us, let it, let us raise right. a glass. Happy Thank birthday. You. Thank you, friends. Birthday. Thank you, friends. Corin birthday. Shout out Corin to birthday. us. birthday. Grab your quarantine. Shout out to everyone. Sam Krebs, Joe Keen, and Tyrell Brown, who couldn't join us tonight. We still right, can't say Oh, God, it's so bad. Delicious. I'm going to regret good. that in like That's 25 right. minutes when we're oh. still recording, and I'm trying to say something serious. I'm about to be slurry as fuck, That's yo. That's what makes this even yeah. better. Oh, God. Kurt Renz would be this is actually pretty good. Kurt Renz would be so well, proud of me right now. Yeah, it's good. Because well, we did have to a topic today. We decided things are so crazy recently, and people are like, this is unprecedented. When has crazier things happened in history ever? And we we thought there have been times when crazy stuff happens in history, and we can talk about them. And it's not... It, so many it's, crazy things. I, I mean, it's not like... This is, this is new for the industrial age, I guess, but it's not like necessarily new, you know? Um, it, it, we just, we decided we wanted to just kind of chat and we were gonna be drunk historians for the night and, and kind of enjoy ourselves. So who wants to kick this party off? Well, hold on, to, yeah. to be clear for our listeners, um, now, because we are living in crazy times, that does not mean these are necessarily going to be crazy and depressing history. Yeah, right. this is fun. This is fun stuff. Is fun. If you want to read about pandemics and the history of pandemics, there's a lot of great books out there about 1918 influenza pandemic. That's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> and, <laughs> not, we're not talking about and we also, we, 
We also decided, yeah, I mean, there has been literally in the past, I guess, week since we've recorded, there's been so much shit that's happened, right? We've officially crossed the 150,000 uh, death mark in this country for the, the coronavirus. Uh, Donald Trump has suggested uh, that he would like to see the election postponed in November uh, due to what he calls uh, widespread uh, mail voting fraud, which is total bullshit. Um, that's just like, that's the baseline on what he said. And there's also some kind of explosive report that it suggests that Jared Kushner and Donald Trump allowed, thought that the coronavirus would be uh, more prevalent in blue areas with Democrats. So that's uh, one of the reasons why they may not have acted uh, as quickly as they did. Um, so it's been, it's been quite a week in news. We've decided that, you know, we've talked about all of this. If you want to listen to our COVID episodes, which I'd highly recommend, go ahead and check them out on our archive. We did a great show last week uh, with Tyrell uh, regarding some of the issues that have been happening and that the, the kidnappings that are still taking place in Portland. But tonight, today, whatever, whenever you're listening to us, we decided we wanted to uh, be a little bit more lighthearted and uh, try to get into this a little bit you more. you got to have both the- things in your life. Like, it's important to stay <laughs> informed and on top of stuff and, and be active and, and get out there and, and fight against injustices. And it's also important to take time to talk about crazy shit that happened in Absol- the past. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. And it's also so the beer listeners. and the booze helps. Yeah, yeah. that too. So, so listeners, if you're listening to this after five o'clock, Grab a drink because we are going to take you on a journey. If you're listening to this in the morning, spike your coffee and don't tell your uh, <laughs> boss. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to be too hungover at the office. So, all right. So, who wants to uh, who wants to kick this party off? Well, with the conspiracy theory episode, we started off with Greg. Do we want to keep that going? Yeah, Greg. Go I ahead. No, uh, I I had a thing on my mind. I got to look it up. I'm very, I'm really sorry, guys. It's been a really busy week. That's okay. Are you okay. Right? You go. I know it's cool. I know what I want to talk about. I know like the whole rundown of it, but I just want to find the thing. You want, yeah, you want to make sure you have the right yeah. details. I pulled up some stuff for mine too. I can go first. Yeah, yes, please. It. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Before you speaking, get too slurry. Yeah, speaking of actual serious things in history, if I told you uh, some uh, a particular piece of news was dominating the French newspaper scene. Um, and just it was all over front pages everywhere. Nothing else was being reported on in all the Parisian newspapers in July of 1914. What would you think I was talking about? You know what? There was something yes. that happened that, that, that kicked off um, just a mm. small little conflict, right? Mm. Would that be the greatest war? Tiny, tiny, tiny little conflict called World War I. Uh, the assassination the war, of the Archduke The war to Ferdinand. end all wars, folks. The war to end all wars. The Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated June 28th, 1914. Uh, but on the uh, all the Parisian newspapers, the big headlines were not about that at all for most of July. They were instead about the trial of Henriette, Henriette I'm going to butcher the French here, Callot. Henriette Callot? Henriette Callot was a Parisian socialite and second wife of the former prime minister of France, uh, Joseph Callot, who was at the time the minister of finance. Um, And a crazy thing happened with her in March of 1914, which is that she murdered somebody. Um, And... Uh, in that way, her trial was all over the French newspapers and all anyone was talking about it. And the reason this is kind of a crazy story is that it's the first time, uh, a lot of historians will argue, it's the first time that 
a person was successfully acquitted of a murder they admitted to on an insanity defense. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And we're going to get to what the insanity defense was because it's kind of infuriating in hindsight. So what had happened here was um, there was a newspaper editor by the name of um, Gaston Calme, who was a severe critic of her husband, uh, Henriette's husband's uh, career as the Minister of Finance, uh, politically attacking him all the time in his newspaper, which was called um, La Figaro, I think, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, And... What, what he did in particular that enraged Henriette so much was that he published this letter uh, that her husband had written that contained some kind of amorous connection to her, her husband's uh, first wife. And publishing the letter, so the reason that the newspaper editor published it was it contained some information that speculated that he'd been like financially inappropriate with, as the minister of finance, he'd done some embezzling, that sort of thing. Um, but her concern was that it also had this sort of amorous love connection. And it wasn't about her, this is about a different woman. But she becomes very, very concerned that the same newspaper editor will be willing to print letters that reveal that she and her husband Joseph had been having an affair while they both were still married to their first spouses. This is 1914, right? So this is kind of a big deal, especially for um, you know this big sort of socialite political family. So she drives and she's driven, sorry, she does not drive herself. She's driven in her, by her chauffeur in her special car to Calme's office on March 16th, 1914, enters the offices of Le Figaro, which is his, um, his newspaper. And she's wearing a fur coat and she has her hands in a muff. And you know, it's March, so it's cold, so it makes sense. Asked to see him, she's let up, gets into the office and um, just shoots him, shoots him dead. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. And what's interesting about this is that um, she then makes no attempt to run or do anything. She waits for the police to show up, insists on being driven to the police station by her chauffeur in her own car, which the police agree to. They get there, she's charged. And she then claims that she had to do this because she told her husband to challenge this guy to a duel and he refused. So where the insanity... (laughs) Wait, back up. Yeah. What? Yes. This is a real thing that happened. Oh, my God. Um, so wow. when the insanity defense comes in, though, her lawyer, like, specifically, um, uh, and I don't think they, they didn't say it by reason of insanity when the ruling happened, but it's sort of what we, we look back on it and think that, okay, this is sort of what the guy was going for. What her lawyer argues successfully, because she is acquitted, is that it was a crime of passion she was forced into. It was not premeditated because she, as a woman, was not emotionally strong enough to deal with the fact that her husband would not duel this man. And so her Uh weakness as a woman (laughs) led to her murdering this guy because she was not emotionally stable enough to not murder him. Because she's a feeble-minded woman. Yes, basically. That was the argument. Wow. The argument that successfully wow. got her acquitted of murder. Wow. Uh, and that oh is my God. case. That is holy shit. She's totally stayed out of jail. She um no, never got arrested for anything again. Um, and she died in 1943. That's yeah. Oh my wow. god. I wonder how many like misogynists actually like cited that as just like justification for being sexist pigs. But it's interesting because wow. she really only got she only got acquitted because they were sexist, right? Because she admitted yeah. to doing it, 
Everyone yeah. knew she'd done it. It was a huge thing. Like there's some actually some great huh. artwork um, from the time. If you look this up, the a lot of the newspapers like Le Petit Journal would do these artistic renderings of the moment when she killed him. And it, a lot of it's great because, you know, she's there in her 1914 finest get up with a big feather on her hat and the muff and the guns <laughs> out. And the guy's like dramatically falling. And I mean, it's horrible because someone was killed. But it's just one of the weirdest things. And it's so interesting when you're researching the First World War to be looking at French newspapers in July of 1914, trying to find stuff about the government's reaction to the assassination and the different political maneuverings that happened in the wake of it and not being able to find it because everyone is obsessed with the trial of Henri Eccolo. Well, you got to think about it. That hasn't really changed too much. I mean, like... We'll go to war and bomb small villages, and all we care about is Kim Kardashian's ass. That's like, no, that's it, that's yeah. that's kind of what this is. It's like it, really because she was yeah. before she got married to the finance minister. She was this sort of highfalutin socialite who was known for yeah. famous for being famous in Paris. You know, just a wealthy <laughs> kind of person. And so it's that's actually a great comparison. Yeah, some of these some of these not whatsoever. I'm looking. I'm actually googling as we're speaking right now. There's a Le Petit Journal. Uh, from that time, and the cover is him, the man, just like up against the desk with his legs back, and she's just like firing this pistol at him. This is that's exactly the one I was thinking of. Yep, this that's the one. Brilliant. And you see the muff? She has the muff down to the side because that's how she yeah. shoots the gun. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, this is unbelievable. Oh and this is a this is an amazing story. Holy thank, shit! Thank you for bringing this up. This is uh, seriously a delight. Yep. And now wow. you can be fun at cocktail parties when you regale people with this story. <laughs> they yeah. made a they made a they made a motion picture of this uh of this entire story. Uh, yeah, there the, was a the advertisement film, for I the Kaliu yeah. case. I'm yep. butchering all the That's French. One, 1918. Then there was a 1968. Um, this is so crazy. Wow. That's weird. Le Petit Journal just means the small newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another the whole other whole other topic is how many newspapers there were in France at the turn of the the fin de siècle, like which is what the, the turn of the century. That sort of cultural <clears throat> moment in Europe, they were obs people were obsessed with small print newspapers. So you weren't buying a full newspaper; you were just buying like a little magazine, and it was the thing everyone loved. It's like it was like nineteen early nineteen hundreds Twitter. Wow. And so there's dozens yeah. of them all over Paris. And this was this, all that they were printing about. This was, was before the newspaper industry was failing. It was failing terrible. New York Times. Failing, failing New York Times. Failing small little newspaper. This is why I don't do tequila because then I start doing my fucking Trump impression all night. Yeah, we're, we're, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm putting a limit on how many more times that can happen. You have a hard <laughs> limit. All right, everyone. Get, I'm I'm <laughs> yep. That gotta, at, at that point you just. Voice. At that point, you just pull out the red card and you're ejected from the podcast. Yep. And you're yes, just exactly. kicked like, out for the like night. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Jeffrey. That was me. Who wants to go next? Jeffrey, you're up. All right, I'm up. I'm going to take you back not too far, but the year is 1932. The month is November. Many interesting things happened, but nothing more interesting than what happened in the continent and country of Australia. You see, prior to this, after the First World War, uh, Large numbers of veterans were given land by the Australian government, and they were encouraged to take up farming, especially in the Western Australia area. And this was at the onset of uh, the Great Depression, and 
in order to kind of combat the economic depression. They were promised by the government that if they increased their wheat crops, that they would be getting subsidies from the government. That never happened. But this is not what the story is about. And things were really tough for these you know, soldiers turned farmers, but not nearly as tough as the large migrating menace of approximately more than 20,000 emus across the Australian countryside. Oh, God. And Sir George Pierce, former World War I veteran, was given the position in Parliament of the minister of what would be known as the Great Emu War of 1932. So, the Australian government hired military personnel to eliminate the emu menace and eventually got to a point where they were arming soldiers with Lewis machine guns. These are like these big, heavy-duty machine guns that can get spit off like 10,000 rounds of ammunition. Uh, they... You know, when you see like the big water cooled guns from like World War One, they were given those to quell the emu menace that was just completely decimating the crops and really aggravating the farmers. So they were calling out to the government, we need you guys to do something about this. Well, the commander of the uh I think it's the seventh uh the seventh heavy ba- uh battery of the Australian army uh was uh GPW Meredith. And he went on a excursion with soldiers to eliminate the emus. And eventually, they would equip these people with machine guns. They would find packs of emus roaming around West Australia, and they would just open fire on these emus. Um, in many accounts, the numbers of emus that were actually killed varied from anywhere between 50 emus to like 200 to 1,000. But... Um, in order to kill around 50 emus, it would take around 2,500 rounds of ammunition. And I actually pulled... That is not a good ratio. It is That's not. Right. You know, how I much, feel like how bad many, for the emus that the, any of them are killed, them? but also that's impressively bad. Yes. And the thing about this is not necessarily that they were bad marksmen. It's just that the emus were tough. They were tough birds. And one of my favorite quotes um regarding the <laughs> the emu war is actually from meredith and quote if we had a military division with the bullet carrying capacity of these birds it would face any army in the world they can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks they're they're like zulus wow. whom even dum-dum bullets which means hollow points could not stop they unloaded Tens of thousands of rounds of machine gun ammunition on these emus and just barely scratch the surface. They would just the emus would just like kind of like, huh? What's going on? And just run away. And also the emus were outflanking them and outmaneuvering them. They would show up and the emus would like smell and see them and run the fuck away. And this was two attempts, two major campaigns in order to eliminate the emus. The first attempt, when they were just being met with such failure at being able to eliminate the 20,000 emu population, they stopped for a bit in November, and then the farmers were pleading with the government again that the emus are back, 
reports on November 12th. This began November 3rd and would eventually end the 10th of December of 1932. And they started all... Part of it's just that they needed something to do with all those leftover machine guns from World War One. Like, was that... <laughs> I th- well, that was the plan of, you know what, we have this infestation of the national bird, by the way. The national bird of Australia is an emu. Think of it in America... Of course, of course it is. Of yeah, course think it of, is. yeah, think of in America if all of a sudden there was like... 50,000 bald eagles that just invaded the Rocky Mountains and were just completely Ugh. like attacking people. And, and the government's answer is go in there with machine guns and murder them all. But, <laughs> the, difference, but the difference between an emu and a bald eagle is that an emu is apparently not only smarter, but can take a lot of bullets. And oh my God. by dis- by the, the rounds that it would take, um, in order to kill these things, just couldn't justify the cost. And in the aftermath, they stopped. And later on would come up with a system of, oh, you know, farmers, you'll get a subsidy for how many emus that you kill. But the government lost a war. With no casualties on their end. They lost a war against a flock of birds. This is why, this is my favorite moment in history. Of just... (laughs) Everything that you think should happen of a government being kind of insane of like, you know what? We'll just give everybody machine guns and we're going to go out there and want to kill a bunch of emus. And they fucking couldn't. And they lost. Australia zero, emus one. (laughs) Exactly. This is without a doubt my favorite conflict in history because people lost to birds. You got to think wow. that also why mammals never took off when dinosaurs were around because they were just fucking their shit up. They're out flanking the tiny little muskrats and just destroying them. Same, I, like, I, I like the comparison of Australians <laughs> to muskrats in this scenario. I approve of it. Like I, approve it. I like the wow. acknowledgement that emus are basically dinosaurs, which is just true. They are. Yes, they are. They're, so they're, school, they're raptors. Birds are dinosaurs. Yeah, they're rappers. They're just rappers. Yeah, this and this happened. You can look it up. It is one of the most batshit things that I've ever learned. Uh, this is on par with like Jack Churchill craziness, which was my follow up. If anybody wanted to talk about the Great Emu War, because that's also fascinating. The, my favorite that thing I didn't insane. know about the Great Emu War before this recording session. My favorite thing about it on like in like internet culture is that if you go to the Wikipedia page for it. It, it's laid out like any other war that they record on Wikipedia. So there's that whole section of like com- uh, uh, com- combatants or like opposing sides. And it's like Australia, <laughs> emus. And then it has Victor and it says emus. <laughs> it's fantastic. Wow. It is amazing. And I, I guess the, the biggest takeaway from this is if you get an opportunity to look up memes that have to do with the Great Emu War, you will never be disappointed. You will <laughs> never be disappointed of the memes that this... And the fact that it just makes me happy that you know so many people have embraced the insanity of this moment in history. And I love it. Are there t-shirts for the Emu War? I'll, I'll, oh God, I want Yeah, one. I'll fucking buy one. You know what? We can make one. <laughs> That'll uh, be the foundation of radio. It's just an emu, and people who know will know. An emu on the front, and on the back, if it says "If you know, you know," and then the logo right underneath it. Yep, yeah. it's perfect. Just, just, just <laughs> it's a, perfect. Just a military emu. So an emu wearing a like, you know, 
World War One English army helmet holding a machine gun, and on the back it just says, "If you know, you know." <laughs> <laughs> just found a T-shirt on Amazon. It says, "The Commonwealth of Australia on one side, and then emus on the other." Strength: two machine guns versus twenty thousand birds. Casualty: twelve plus birds. And under Australia, it just says dignity. <laughs> <laughs> $19 shirt. It comes in men's, women's, and youth. White, light blue, red, yellow, and gray. FYI. Amazing. So we, there is merch for it. That's good. That's good to know. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, so that is the tale of the Great Emu War and all of the ridiculousness. Alright. I got a couple unless, Greg, you want to go. No, I couldn't find my thing. Um, I'm okay. lame. I'm sorry. That's all right, man. That's all right. You could at least you could you could participate. So I, really, I got a really short one, and then I have a sh- semi longer one, and then I have my actual one. So the did we all one, prepare two? Because it sounds like Jeff has two, and I have another one. Yes, <laughs> I have do this, do this one. Slack. I'm just going to interject and be rude and just like make fun of people the entire time. That's all. Don't worry about it, G- Greg. You That's sound a like a robot, role, dude. Greg. I sound like a robot now. Yeah, you sound like a robot. The emus got to him, guys. Yeah, they did. They know that they, Finland. Finland is attacking the feed. <laughs> Finland, Finland has found us, you guys. Uh, All right. So here's my short one. At President Andrew Jackson's funeral in 1843. <laughs> yes. This started out great. It's already starting out strong. It's starting out strong. His pet parrot had to be removed because it was swearing loudly. He <laughs> would not stop swearing. <laughs> was it just knowing fuck Andrew Jackson, you're the worst? Because I feel Pretty like it, the, his parrot would know. So His parrot definitely would know. Or maybe he was yelling fuck Donald Trump. I don't know. He probably had some foresight in there. I'm not really no, sure. He, he was pro- oh, shit. Who was his, uh, who was his uh, vice president? The one that he regretted killing. He was probably yelling fuck him. <laughs> I'm looking up his vice. John C. How- John C. Calhoun. Yeah, John C. Calhoun was the one person that Andrew Jackson regretted not killing. So I guarantee you, the parrot, uh, the parrot was like, "Fuck Calhoun, fuck that." Guy. <laughs> Andrew Jackson was a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, okay, so- this is not a surprising story. Yeah. <laughs> so here's one. Here's another one for you. The vice president of PepsiCo attended an American exhibition in Moscow in 1959 as a part as part of an effort to convince the Soviet Union of the benefits of capitalism. Apparently, Pepsi <gasps> I was know a, this one. This has a great Pepsi ending. Pepsi was a big hit, but there was a problem. Soviet money wasn't generally accepted worldwide. So the USSR bought billions of dollars worth of Pepsi by trading submarines, military ships, and a lot of vodka for the soda. And for that brief time, Pepsi Company had the sixth largest military in the world until it sold, <laughs> until it sold all the ships and submarines for scrap recycling. That is insane. I didn't Could know you about imagine? that. Could you imagine if they actually like acted on that? That would have been fucking brilliant. I like, feel like we're approaching so, like, that reality so, with the way some corporations are operating these days. World War Three sponsored by Pepsi. Yeah. 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 I could see that. All right. Now, here's my actual one. Star Trek Voyager was not as well perceived. <laughs> okay. Wait, no, sorry. <laughs> previous so Star Trek series. Every time. You're starting so strong. Continue. I don't In know 1997. 
1997, producers decided. Oh, am I slurring already? Probably. Yeah. In 1997, produ- <laughs> easy for me to say. Greg, you sound like a robot. You sound like Johnny Five. What's going on? I don't know. Oh, no. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Have you tried turning America off and on again? Uh, I'm off now. Yeah. Let me just hit reload. You guys sound fine. Say something. How am I now? Yeah. 100%. You're better. Better. I don't know what Adam, happened. You, All right. you could edit that out, right? Could we just like do a hard cut to you starting your story now? Well, if this is gonna be if this is drunk historians, then we should probably just leave this in, right? I mean, it's uh, like, really good. <laughs> accurate historic historical context. All right, let historic. me start again here. Let's roll. Let's roll. Let's roll it back. Let's you don't know back. who I am. You don't know. Who I am. It's like all the girls okay. at the Westchester bars. All right. So Star Trek Voyager was not Greg, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, yes, Star Trek Voyager was was not as well received as previous Star Trek series. In 1997, producers decided to add a new character in an attempt to boost ratings. Actress Jerry Ryan was brought in to play Seven of Nine. Jerry's frequent separations from her husband, Jack Ryan, due to her acting schedule, contributed to their decision to divorce in 1999. In 2004, Jack Ryan became the Republican nominee for an open Senate seat in Illinois. During the campaign, the proceedings from Ryan's divorce became public and contained details of a sex life that did not make him look good. Oh, goodness. The the scandal forced Ryan to drop out of the Senate race in July, leaving the GOP time to find only token opposition to Democratic nominee Barack Obama. What? Barack Barack Obama's landslide victory in the Senate race helped launch him onto the national stage, allowing him to pull off an upset victory in the 2008 Democratic primary and win the presidential election. For those of you that didn't pay attention, the entire thing I was saying, the lackluster writing of Star Trek Voyager helped pave the way for the Obama presidency. That is wild. You should all love Captain Janeway even more. Janeway is the best. Really? I mean, the writing of Voyager... That's fair. But, you know, the characters were, some of them, they had heart. No, I, yeah, was my yeah. fucking boy. He was my man. He was yeah. the best. I have, to, uh, I, have to attribute, I have to attribute that feed to uh, a Reddit user, I am not Scott Bakula, but I read that for the first time a couple months ago, and I was, that is fucking outrageous. That is, that is it's unbelievable. So are we, do, are we doing more than one? Because I could go for another one. That's like a full on butterfly. Go ahead. Though, Adam, that's like, you never could have predicted that those is, two things would intersect. I got a, I got a, I got is, a one thing I remembered. Go yeah. for it. Go ahead. Okay. Y'all ready? Uh, we're ready Let's when you are. It. Okay. So you've all heard of Mount Rushmore, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Course, I'm just placating the audience. Uh, Mount no, Rushmore. Mount Rushmore was authorized in 1925. It began construction in 1927, and the fourth face was finished by 1939. There's a there's another little unknown statue very close by. Of it's uh, 17 miles away of crazy the Crazy Horse Memorial. Oh yeah, the it, Chief Crazy Horse statue isn't that still unfinished? Memorial Chief Crazy 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 Horse. It started in 1947, 1948. And is still ongoing for 72 years. Why? Because of funding. And manpower. Wow. Well, Rushmore wow. was created by the government on sacred land. Yeah. On uh, sacred land. Crazy yeah. Horse is on, also on sacred land. 17 miles away. 
So they can't claim anything like manpower or anything like that. They can't claim technological dis like not 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 smart enough to do the fucking thing. Like there's no other reason except for they don't want this thing to actually be completed. So not to bring the room down, but huh. to try to get the audience engaged, you should probably donate to any kind of nonprofit organization that helps support this uh, memorial. There's one directly called the Crazy Horse Memorial Foundation. It's a nonprofit organization. Uh, you can donate to them on their website and help them build a really awesome looking monument. It's Chief Crazy Horse. And he's basically pointing out, I think, directly to the east in the sunrise. Um, it's a it's a very beautiful, very beautiful monument, what it's supposed to be. Um, his face thus far is completed about, like, I would say 30% of, of his arm. But it's also supposed to include his torso and a full-on horse. Like, the horse head and mane. And just, it's supposed to look very beautiful. So, I think that would be really cool to see. Uh, completed in my lifetime, that would be cool. Just no, saying. and Greg, you're like, as I so, it's so cool to bring this up because, like, I think that even though it's definitely not done now based on the concept, it does still look kind of cool now, and people can go it visit it. Very cool. Yes, you can, yeah. you can visit it, and you can donate. I think they're actually there. There is a visitor center that you can donate to, but if you can't make it there, you should give them like five bucks or like a buck or something just because every dollar counts. I had no idea that Mount Rushmore was completed that quickly. That's actually kind of nuts. That is kind of crazy. How much uh, money yeah, was was a real at, desecrating, at desecrating that spiritual mountain? Oh, God. Yeah, I can't no, even imagine. The United States has always been involved in um, downplaying the plight and the life of the Native American because the more that they are relevant, the less we are. So, yeah. And the federal government realizes that. But we're not supposed to be bringing the room down, Greg. You no, guys well, okay, if I'm, if I'm gonna be if I'm gonna be happier, not happier, but weirder about Mount Rushmore, my biggest childhood memory of it is it, it's um crazy prominent featuring in the Hitchcock movie North by Northwest. Oh, I love that. Movie. Is it Cary Grant who's in that movie? Like climbs into one of the president's noses or something at the at the climax of the film. Somebody falls not, off and dies. I definitely know that. Anyway, watch North like, by Northwest. <laughs> Ruth, I thought you were going to go with Richie Rich with Macaulay Culkin. Oh, yeah. Great flick. Uh, I, I really did think you were going there because I watched that movie like religiously as a child. It was the dumbest thing ever, but it was so good. It's a, it's a terrible movie. And you know what else was a terrible idea? Taking the tequila shot. That was fucking stupid. <laughs> it, was, it was a great really idea. Stupid, you guys. Really okay. Stupid. Wait, but, if we're doing, uh, doing more uh, stuff, I have a crazy drug story. Uh, Do it. Let's hear it. For Dr. Ruth on Dr. Ruth on drugs. Let's hit it. Yes. Well, not I'll, me. I got but one for you. heard the tale of the, <laughs> of the 1904 Olympic. Uh, oh, not marathon. about you. Okay, not bad. The 1904 marathon. I have not. Okay, so in 1904, St. Louis hosted the Olympic Games as part of the World's Fair. It was an utter disaster. America's first Olympic Games, writes the Smithsonian Magazine, may have been its worst or at least its most bizarre. Um, in 1904 in St. Louis, games were tied to the World's Fair. What's important about the marathon, though, is that 
uh, a few of the runners in this 1904 marathon were actual marathoners who had won or placed in things like the Boston Marathon, previous Olympic marathons. But the majority of the field was composed of um, oddities, so says Smithsonian Magazine here. And the author of this article, which is uh, amazing, is Karen Abbott. Um, and she writes about the Cuban marathoner and former mailman who just thought, I'm really good at running, so I'll show up, um, Felix um, Carbial. And he showed up like just dressed normally and had to have someone cut the bottom of his pants off so he could run more freely. He wow. also spent the most majority of the race like taking breaks and talking to people and stealing apples from orchards and lying down and taking a nap. Um, <laughs> there was a guy, wow. uh, Fred Lortz, Hold on. Uh, was Fred Lortz, one of them, it was Benjamin Fred Lortz, got in a car at one point. Yes, yeah, this is the guy. Yeah, he's a practical joker. Uh, rode the last 11 miles, barring like the run to the finish in an automobile, got out and ran to the finish line. And Alice Roosevelt, uh, Theodore Roosevelt's daughter, was all excited, an American winner. And, you know, they declare him the winner. And then a bunch of people are like, no, he literally came a lot of the way in the car. So they had to disqualify him almost immediately. And uh, everyone was pretty pissed. And then the drugs come in with Thomas Hicks, who was uh, running and it looked like he wasn't going to make it. And his trainers were there with him and they really wanted him to win. And so they gave him what they thought would be a boost, which was strychnine and egg whites. Strychnine is a uh, rat poison. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> They also had a flask of brandy with them to make sure, you know, just in case they needed to pep him along some more, they'd give him some brandy. So wow. he amazingly crosses the finish line like this with the rat poison and the brandy and all of it in his system. And the race official Charles Lucas said, over the last two miles of the road, Hicks was running mechanically, like a well-oiled piece of machinery. His eyes were dull, lusterless. The ashen color of his face and skin had deepened. His arms appeared as weights well tied down. He could scarcely lift his legs while his knees were almost stiff. He started to hallucinate. Um, he makes it over the finish line and is declared the winner because he's the first one who makes it over after the practical joker who rode in the car a lot of the way, but is immediately rushed to a doctor. Amazingly, survives this. Wow. Oh my God. That is insane. Yep. And it sounds like a total shit show. It sounds a lot like this year. Like yes. this year completely summed up in one. Yep. Oh my God. All right. If, we're, if, if we're doing more, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with my short one. Uh, Ruth, you'll know this reference. <clears throat> Andrew Jackson in the main foyer of the White House. Why is it a, always about Andrew Jackson? Had a big block of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so the actual history to this is uh, New Year's Eve, 1837. Andrew Jackson as president was gifted a two-ton block of cheese. And in order... To, uh, I guess, eliminate some of this cheese, he opened up the doors of the White House for oh, all sports to partake in said block of cheese and literally had a kegger where people would just come <laughs> in and eat cheese and get completely shit faced at the White House. And to this day, apparently, the stain from Andrew Jackson's two ton block of cheese is still in the White House foyer. 
but yes, that's real short. Andrew Jackson had a kegger with a big block of cheese. My actual one is I want to regale you in the tales of an individual who is a uh, crazy personal hero. Named name Andrew is, Jackson. No, his name is John Malcolm Thorpe Fleming Churchill. Others may know yep. sweet fucking name. Others may know him as Jack Churchill, Fighting Jack Churchill, or my favorite, Mad Jack Churchill. Mad Jack Churchill. I like his full name. <laughs> Mad Jack Churchill gained a lot of fame as a British Army officer who fought in the Second World War, but specifically he would go onto the battlefield with bagpipes, a longbow, and a Scottish claymore. This was a man who did not give any fucks about anything, and he loved war. He was at Dunkirk. He had to do with the defending of Norway. He was at the invasion of Sicily. Uh, the Yugoslavia campaign, and my favorite Jack Churchill story is when Jack Churchill uh, would not only just go into battle with a claymore in hand, he has a confirmed one kill with his longbow, but um, he was captured uh, by the SS and was taken to Soxhausen concentration camp right out of Berlin. Uh, While in Soxhausen, Jack Churchill and another Air Force officer uh, by the name of Bertram James, found a way and escaped in September of 1944. They crawled under the barbed wire and through an abandoned drain and escaped Sachsenhausen concentration camp. And they got all the way to the city of Rostock, where by April, they were captured again. <laughs> and he was taken to another concentration camp where by April of 1945, the Allies are starting to win the war. Eventually, the SS guards left, and he, quote, escaped again and walked about uh, 100, and this is a guesstimate, it's anywhere between 90 to 100 miles, to Italy, where he met up with an American armored unit and was saved. Then later on, would go on to say about the war, quote, if it wasn't for those damn Yanks, we could have kept the war going on for another 10 years. This man was absolutely insane. Mad Jack Churchill is right, man. He like he was the poster boy <laughs> of like everything that had to do with the British campaign for the Second World War. He was an insane person. Absolutely batshit. And I love him. And I will send in the group chat a picture. It's not an actual... Yeah. Um, photo of a battle. It's from a training exercise, but it shows Jack Churchill storming a beach with his sword. And when you, you just, it is an absolute light. And I, I can't believe Jesus. That people like this actually existed. I'm just imagining being like, I don't necessarily believe in in any kind of afterlife, but I'm just imagining. Like being dead and being the one person in World War II who was killed by a longbow. <laughs> right? Like, I, I at, the, at the hands of Mad Jack Church. And just like having that afterlife knowledge that that's how you went out. So, so, so think of it like a confirmed kill. You need like a witness for that. Think of like the first guy that came along, the guy who had the fucking arrow in like his neck. Like, 
that's Jack's kill. Like no, like nobody else around here has a fucking longbow. That's Jack's right there. That's he killed him. Nobody else. But like just a, a dead body laying on the road, just like who killed that guy? I don't know. Maybe it was Thompson. Yeah, it was Thompson. Yeah, he did that. Let's Maybe that. it was Thompson. Maybe it was Thompson. <laughs> I don't know. But Maybe the fucking arrow out of the guy's eyeball. That's Mad Jack. Oh, that, that's well. his. I got a sick one for you. You ready? Speaking yeah. of eyeballs and sick shit, Pope Stephen the sixth had his penultimate predecessor, Pope Formosus's remains dug up and put the corpse on trial with the oh, corpse propped up on a, th- with the corpse propped up on a throne. A deacon was appointed to answer for the deceased pontiff. The corpse was found guilty, stripped of its <laughs> sacred vestments, oh my deprived goodness. of three fingers in its right hand, uh, those are the blessing uh-huh. fingers, of course, clad in the garb of a layman and quickly buried. It was then re-exhumed and thrown into the Tiber. The scandal ended in Stephen's imprisonment and his death by strangling that summer. Medieval Pope stories are the best. I want to also plug here for anyone who wants Oof. to look into it, the year of the Oof. three popes. Anyone know about the year of the three popes? <laughs> I've you know, if, we're speaking, if we're all talking about fucking popes and shit y'all think john paul the first was murdered I jewish think so jewish so uh no 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 opinion on this because i'll get blamed <laughs> I don't for, I don't uh, my friend I mean, my I friend from possible, the uh the, man this is the thing with like there's the also the year, of, the year of the four popes which was um 1276 which is a classic um we have two popes currently actually technically Right, because isn't yeah. Um, yeah. Benedict uh, still alive? Well, Benedict yeah. is technically Pope Emeritus, right? Yeah, but they're yeah, apparently like that. saying that they they created that Pope. category now, so we wouldn't end up in a like medieval situation here with there being two yeah. popes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a weird, weird well, situation. As much as popes are spiritual leaders, and I don't want to denigrate that for anyone who takes that seriously, and it's a part of their you know personal life. Now, if you look in medieval times, it's also this incredibly powerful political position that ends up with some of the weirdest intrigue of um, medieval history is around popes and popes getting assassinated and people declaring their opponent who's also pope, the anti-pope and, uh, you know, like the antichrist, but the anti-pope. The anti-pope. It's a a wild era. Well, so the the, the, the game of chess, uh, actually, well, chess originally... It originated in India, but it came to Europe and they kind of re kind of constituted it to fit their setting and everything like that. And that's how we know it today. But the game of chess, the queen is actually not a queen where she can move all over the board and do whatever, basically whatever the fuck she wants. Uh, It's actually more analogous to the Pope because popes would actually send letters to queens to kind of whisper in the ears of their kings. Yeah. And well, you know, and to and, a certain extent, the Protestant Reformation, as much as it was about theology and ideological shift, it was also yeah. about power because you have people like yeah. Martin Luther, who's like this former monk who decides he doesn't like the selling of indulgences and people having to pay to be saved and all this. And he comes up with, you know, I actually ideologically want to shift the focus of Christianity. Okay. But also you have Henry VIII of England who declares himself essentially the Pope of the Church of England because he wants yep. to get yes. a source. Uh, <laughs> this is all... <laughs> 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 not have anybody look at him differently. 
guys, I'm this the Pope of England. I'm the Pope, you guys. Oh, guys, okay. this is all fascinating, but this isn't like hilarious history. This is just like regular history. This is apparently <laughs> no. This is the sad thing. Apparently, what happens when we get drunk is that we just have like earnest conversations about stuff we find Seriously. interesting. Seriously. Yeah. This is an embarrassing thing to realize. I'm going to bring it back to fun history. Who wants to hear a fun fact about the Revolutionary War and the Battle of Germantown? Tell me, me more about birds, person, Jeff. Tell me more about the swearing emus and the 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 the, the, the I want to hear the, 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 the racist parrots and shit like that. Well, we, we, can go, we can get birds. into Andrew Jackson to close because I've got this. So and, did Andrew you know Jackson that during the Battle of Germany territory, though, we should steer clear of him. He was the worst. <laughs> he was the worst. He was. He's the, fuck, he's the fucking worst. But, but I'm going to bring up a, you know, a better but not the best president. Better. Um, so during the Battle of Germantown, during the Revolutionary War, there was an actual ceasefire during the battle when a terrier wandered in between American and British forces. And this was the British General Howe's dog who had gotten loose. So it was actually taken by the patriots and the revolutionaries and given to George Washington to keep as a trophy. Instead of keeping it as a trophy, he fed the dog, brushed it, loved it. And formally returned the dog to General Howe under a flag of truce. Oh, fuck. wow. That's adorable. That's goddamn wow. adorable. Did you guys know for over three decades, Canada and Denmark have been playfully fighting for control yes. over a tiny island near Greenland called Hans Island? I swear, I, I, hold on. I swear every, to God, you're about to every, bring up Finland again, and I was about to punch uh-huh. you. Uh-huh. Every, <laughs> every once in a while, well, that's what's getting us plays, is talking about Finland, apparently. Every, Finland, once in Finland, a while, Finland. every once in a while, when officials from each country visit, they leave a bottle of their country's liquor. That's cute. That's very Canada that's and Greenland of that's them. A, right. It's adorable. Um, Andrew yeah, Jackson. Friends, I'm drunk. <laughs> I'm a little um, drunk. Are we running out of history to talk about? See, yeah, my I think so. Format, and like, I was, I was very enthusiastic about this topic <laughs> as a historian. But then we're like, let's do fun history that's not depressing. And I, I short circuited. I had blue screen of death because most history I know is super depressing. And we can do a different episode about that. But. I, I- <laughs> Must I think go, we kept this lighthearted. I, I think it was, uh, you know, it was more fun. Bring the two. I have one thing that I find. Bring the two I, people I who work with the Holocaust in on history and see if it <laughs> gets depressing or not. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's why we need to cut this. So, if anyone wants to follow Dr. Ruth on Twitter, I am at Wacky Historian. And um, uh, following, following my right now. Pinned, my pinned tweet right now is an imagined conversation between me and a stranger, where the stranger says. You study history. What what part of the past would you want to? What era would you want to live in? Because I get that question all the time, and the answer from me is none. The past was garbage, and the present is barely an improvement. I just retweeted it. <laughs> well, I mean, so, I can keep. I can keep with the fun, lighthearted stuff. Did you know that Benjamin Franklin, the greatest Philadelphian to ever live, uh, wrote a yep. book mm-hmm. about farts? <laughs> you tell. Where can I get this? Is it called Everybody Poops? It is not called Everybody Poops, but look it up. Benjamin Franklin wrote a book about farts and how jovial and amazing they are. That is fantastic. Wow. He was actually friends with a Japanese writer who wrote a similar book. Yes. Um, Hiragi Genai uh, was an 80-period Japanese pharmacologist. 
who wrote a whole pamphlet on farting. He was friends with Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, and he invented the first like electric, um, uh, I guess it was an early battery. It was in the 1700s and he created a static electricity box called an electator. That is the Fast earliest it. kind of, um, uh, I'm, I'm running out of, I know this off the top of my head. I'm not looking this up. He also was very gay and wrote lots uh, and published lots of reviews of gay brothels in Japan. Very well, interesting historical fellow. Dr. Ruth, one thing, uh, I vaguely remember that man's name and he basically made one of the first modern-ish capacitors, which is like a battery with one pole coming out of it. Yes, thank you. That's what it was. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. you can see them in museums sometimes. I don't know if there are too many left, yes. but it's like, it looks like a box. Uh, yeah. They have something like that in the Franklin Institute in the electricity area, which is very Benjamin Franklin oriented because that was his shtick. And it makes sense that he was friends with anybody who was into that back then. Yeah, I, I don't know if they ever actually met in person, but I know they corresponded. So there's like evidence of they yeah. knew. This is what's so interesting about the past. And I'm doing the drunk thing again, where I'm just like earnestly talking about stuff that interests me. No, I but love I earnest history. Like we don't need globalization, the ability to communicate all over the world as such a modern thing. And it's like, no, in the 1700s, Benjamin Franklin was writing letters to this guy in Japan because they were both fascinated by electricity. And that's so interesting. Yeah, well, like when you think about letters today, like a one page letter is like a long letter. Back then, a letter was like 16 pages long. Like you would you write a small pamphlet to somebody and tell them all about your life and everything you're doing. So they, you know, yeah, it, it was very much they, they met, very much knew each other over the course of a few years, I'm sure. But um, you, you were saying that he was openly gay and one of my favorite historical figures in history is Alexander the Great. Even though he was very much an imperialist asshole, um, he was also very much openly gay, uh, well, bisexual. Uh, he had his wives and children because he knew that he, well, tried to have his children. He knew that he had to carry his name and keep his kind of face out in society as like, yeah, I'm, you know, your leader and everything like that. But he had his his one companion, his Hephaestian, who was his quote unquote best friend, and uh, his companion and companion back back then meant person you laid down with. And uh, Alexander the Great, we all kind of know his name. He took over the pretty much the entire known world from southern Europe to India, to the Afghan Kush, to Turkmenistan, and all the way in Central Asia. And I, I really think that a lot of people like to forget about him because he, he was not straight. He was definitely I, not straight. I mean, it's interesting talking about, and I'm going to get Whatever earnest here. Not straight. I'm going to drunk, drunk Dr. Ruth's getting earnest about history again. It's complicated no, cool. to talk about queer people in history because labels we currently have yes. about being not straight right. don't necessarily always apply. But yes, he was he was definitely not straight. Um, not straight. Whether or not his own society Greatest. would have considered him quote unquote queer and like deviating from norms is a different question, right? Like right. that might have just been nobody commented on it then. So it's difficult to make any kind of comparison in that sense. But yes, that that dude was definitely his main man. So my question yeah. is, because this is really fascinating, do we want to, at a, at a future date, 
bring this up in a show su- subject of like something that we can talk about. Like historical di- yeah, historical gay people or like how uh, I guess not necessarily like claiming because it's not my place to say who can and can't be claimed, but something along the lines of like how um, you know you know LGBT history and like gay people and get you know gay figures. That's something that we. Talk. I, I I think there's a lot there to go about this, and this is just me being generally interested. You can keep this or throw this away in the in the podcast, but there's also just also one more quick hilarious historical fact I want to end with when we get to the end time. I have I have a lot of titles and like things I could talk about if we did historical gaze, but I don't know if like we can discuss that another time. Maybe we should do a hard stop in case Adam wants to edit, and then uh, Jeff can come back in with another fun fact. Yeah, I we'll, we'll, am. Uh, we'll talk about it after. All right. Yeah, Jeff, do you want to do you want to come in? Let's let's cut in here with um with one last fun fact, and then we'll wrap up. All right. So before we get all too drunk, you guys, there's one before, fact. Before, okay. it's, it's too late. Too, late. too drunk. Too too late drunk. Late is like, all right. Three shots of Jefferson and two bottles of sake. I am already oh. done. All right. I got. Dude, I got. I got wait, I got, wait, Greg. I, wait. How did you drink two bottles of sake? How are you still alive? I'm feeling better about my own alcohol consumption tonight. (laughs) How are you alive, dude? It's not a beer bottle. It's not really that big, but it 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 is 18 18 alcohol. All right, I'm turning on my video for the last historical fact. Oh my god! All right. Okay. So, wait a real gentlemen, gentlemen, ladies, gentlemen. Gentlemen, ladies, and doctors, I want to tell you about a quick story about the uh, the, fr- the French King Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte. Did you know that Napoleon Bonaparte, Bonaparte once requested a rabbit hunt in which it did not end the way that you thought it would? So, Napoleon requested a, a rabbit hunt in which... Shut up. Um, in which... Oh my god, I love Frumpkin right now. Thank you, Ruth. Um... 3,000 rabbits were to be released to Napoleon and his, I guess, crew to capture. But what actually happened is Napoleon was attacked by 3,000 rabbits during this rabbit hunt because the common thought was like, oh my god, as soon as we come up to them, they're going to scurry. But no, they all decided to descend on Napoleon and attack him. And Napoleon was attacked by 3,000 rabbits. And I think that's... I love that all of your stories, Jeff, we bookended (laughs) your stories as being the animals win, essentially. Yes, Um, the animals always win. Is that the inspiration for for Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the rabbit of death? Did they know this? (laughs) (laughs) They actually did. That, that's the bookend of they did know about this particular incident, and it's just it's hilarious. Yes, I have to bring it back to an animal always wins. Only the bunny is not the national animal of France, but the emu, which will always win in combat and can stand up to machine gun it's fire. Animal, so. I don't know. A guillotine. A guillotine. What is the national animal of France, Siri? What is it? What's the animal, Craig? She didn't Come say on, it. Siri. But oh. on the list. Also, my my Siri is uh, uh, Irish. Wait, what are we asking? What the national animal of France is? The Gaelic hey, rooster. 
It's a Gaelic rooster. Is it a rooster? Yeah, a, well, a Gaelic rooster. <clears throat> Fun fact, Gaelic does not mean Irish or Scottish. Uh, the Gaelic people were also from Portugal, area, the Iberian Peninsula, and southern France, and also Ireland, Scotland. Hey, Siri. You suck. That's not nice. <laughs> hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. Kiss my ass. Hey, Siri. Am I the most my, sober one? Kiss my ass. You might be. Adam, do not antagonize. Adam, do not antagonize the machines. You got to say please and thank you to them just in case. The FBI is listening. Wait, wait. I think they're coming no, for us. The FBI machines. What if there's a Terminator hey, Siri, situation? Please. Oh wait, we're, we're, we're reaching we're Excuse reaching that me. point. According to the movies, it's like July or June of 2020 is when the machines go off on us. So before Skynet takes us and uh, eliminates us all, I want to thank everybody for listening. Tune in for next time at Foundation Radio. I'm uh, glad Jeff is, is taking control here because I certainly can't. Yeah, um, listen. Dude, uh, quarantine sucks, by the way. Can we just say that quarantine fucking sucks? It really does. I just want to see my I friends and I can't fucking do anything. I know that I know that we're all stuck at home, at home alone, and I'm only oh, seeing you all over video, and we're getting drunk alone technically. But this has been one of the more social things I've done recently. <laughs> and I appreciate yeah, me too. Uh, me too. All right, listen, listen, don't don't cut any of this. Listen, we're gonna wrap up for today. Thank you so much for listening to Foundation Radio. Tune in in two weeks. We're gonna have some great topics to talk about. Hopefully, Sam and Joe and Ty will be back with us. We will have some excellent content for you. Check out our no. Facebook at Foundation Radio. And more importantly, check out Greg's sexy Wait. hair on his own personal Facebook. I'm going to post it later in the comments. So <laughs> listen, have a great time. Be safe, everybody. Wear your mask. And if you are interested, we will post some links to the history that we talked about today. And take care, everybody. Adam is too drunk. That's why I'm Adam right now. <laughs> How is we will see Jeff you all in two weeks. Oh my god. I have no idea. This is the thing that says responsible. We'll see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Foundation Radio is recorded and produced by Adam Barnard and Sam Kreps. Our intro and outro is produced by Dumb Ugly. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Foundation underscore radio. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Foundation Radio Pod. This has been a Foundation Radio production.